This just handed to me. The following podcast is a Sam Productions production. Welcome to the Autism Warriors podcast, episode 13, More with Real Autism Warriors. Our website is autismwarriors.com. Our email is feedback at sayitproductions.com. Our Twitter is sayitprods. Our Facebook is facebook.com backslash autismwarriors and facebook.com backslash sayitproductions. Our voicemail is 813-915-6390. And as always, you can hear us live every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern at sayitproductions.com backslash live. We respect and uphold the rights of people to make choices concerning their family member with autism, whether it be vaccinations, therapies, or medications. I'm Erica Plourd. I'm mother to two children on the autism spectrum, Cassidy 9 and Garrett 7. And I'd like to welcome my guest, not my guest host, my co-host, cohort, (laughs) Pamela Mari. How you doing there? Good evening. I'm fine. Good evening. I'm the guest host. And my name is Pam. I am mom to Joey. He's 13 years of age, and he, too, is on the autism spectrum. Awesome. We had a few, a couple comments from last week's show, um, one of which was from Tanya Fry. She, Great. She is of desperate, desperate for respite. I can't even say it. Desperate, desperate for respite. Desperate.com. And um, DesperateForRespite.com, or Desperate for Respite is a community caring for caregivers. It's out of Houston, Texas. It's a corporation that exists to provide support to caregivers caring for special needs children, dependent adults, and their families in the Northwest Houston area. So anybody out there listening in the Northwest Houston area, if you're desperate for respite, check them out. Um, and what Tanya said, she wanted to thank Gretchen. And she said that she was awesome, and she did it instead of waiting for someone else to do it for her and Sean, and she gave us kudos. And then Julia Clarkson from Australia, she said, "Um, Gretchen is so inspiring, and I hope to learn a lot through her experiences for their own homes in Australia. Okay, and for those that didn't listen last week, maybe we want to say that Gretchen, when we refer to Gretchen, we're referring to Gretchen Wilson- Mansfield, Gretchen Wilson, oh my goodness. Gretchen Mansfield Wilson. Mansfield Wilson, and she's the founder of the Sean Ashley House, which is a residential home for special needs persons in Houston, Texas. So they're referring to our our guest from last episode. Exactly. You had an announcement for us tonight? Just because summer's coming up, and so I went on the website to find out if this was still an ongoing uh, available thing for our kids. Uh, So it's a reminder that the AMC theaters are still offering sensory-friendly films for kids on the spectrum. The June 4th show will be Kung Fu Panda 2, (laughs) and the July 2nd show is Cars 2. All shows will be at 10 a.m. local time in your listening area, wherever that is. There's a list of participating theaters at the website. It's basically amctheaters.com, and then you click on the sensory-friendly little icon guy, and it'll give you a whole list of participating theaters and of course the lights are turned up the kids are free to roam around there's no problem if your child makes noise or or anything of that nature it's just totally set up for autism kids to go and be able to enjoy a movie i think that's a great thing i actually looked on it to see if my local amc had it and they actually do so it's a that's that's a good thing to know about so I found, um, or I'm maybe I'm being a little repetitive in this particular resource, um, but I found a great source for finding a service provider in your area, and that's autism.healingthresholds.com. And you don't even have to put a zip code or anything in. You just click on the find the service provider or 
or mouse over the find a service provider and you could find applied behavioral analysis in your area, cognitive behavioral, cranial sacral, marriage and family, movement, neurofeedback. Um, in my particular area, it says other um, and other uh, referred to music therapy out of a town that's just located a couple towns over than me. Um, pediatric chiropractor, they even have dentists, you know, check it out um, if you are looking for a, any particular service in your area. That's great. Well, I found one that kind of had to do with, I interviewed a lady from our school district this week to talk about transition planning because that's something that has come up now in Joey's IEP. Mm-hmm. So I'm mentioning this website that I utilize for information Transition planning for students with IEPs, and it's through an organization called greatschools.org. And if your child is of the age, which is around 13 or 14, where their IEP mandates that they must be starting to address transition planning for when the kids get out of school, and you want to know, well, what what am I entitled to? What does this look like? What does this include? Go to this website at greatschools.org. Dot org and look under transition planning. It's very helpful. Okay, so the topic of the week <laughs> is more with real autism warriors. I was just talking away over here. Um, tonight we have a special guest on the show, and his name is Rex Athey. I hope I'm not murdering his last name. He's an adult with an autism spectrum disorder. And Rex, how are you affected by autism? In other words, where would you place yourself on the spectrum? I'm probably... The way I kind of figured it out, like if autism on this side, whatever is called normal, which there is, and is on that side, it goes somewhere in between and maybe one or two notches towards normal. Okay. It's, a, and, it's, it's frustrating, but now that I know what it is, it's a lot of questions are answered. Ah. And um, now when or at what age were you diagnosed? Um, probably just a few years ago. The, the way the story goes, actually about, there was a time when I started to figure what I just said was, this is what I think seems to be what I am. And the very next week, in at work, in precise and nauseating detail of exactly what I had just figured out, this guy told me what his wife found out and has a name, Asperger's, but that didn't register as far as the name aspect. So I, I kind of like was, it was neat that there at least there's something like what I just figured out. And then it took a while to finally the word Asperger's registered. Ah. Now, um, a lot of people with autism have great rote memorization. And how do you feel about your memory? Do you think you have a great memory or? It's a mixed bag. It's like, it scares people at some of the detail and the, what I remember from way, way back. And yet there's also some things I can't remember. So uh. it's kind of like, but I, I can remember what I call the light switch incident. What that means is I was probably about two years old when your life begins. Like I call it the light switch. You flip the switch and I remember looking out of seeing a blue sky out this window, telegraph poles, a particular house. And I just remember that moment. And I was, oh, able, wow. to, and I was able to count to 14. Wow. Wow. Now, um, what a lot of people, um, or it has been said that a lot of people uh, with autism are visual learners and have um, good visual skills. Could you expound on something like that? I, I seem to have, it's a, um, there's, I'm a visual thinker, but I'm also an audio thinker. <laughs> and it's hard to explain it. Like I see sound or I hear light or I don't know how to explain it, but and it's kind of like the, uh, it's kind of, I've always liked things with pictures. Like a lot of the books I have, I, I like books with lots of nice color pictures. Ones with words are kind of boring, but <laughs> I can read them. It's just, I've always liked, you know, in cartoons, I've always liked, you know, I tend to favor animation, cartoons, that kind of thing. The live action wasn't as much. I remember growing up, about the only live action I liked was Sky King, and that was because of the airplane. Ah. But Rex, wouldn't you say that in your work, which of the two 
more more pertains to your your line of work which one I'm, which which I'm sense mainly, do you use more at work since i'm actually I'm, I'm on the television side it kind of falls in place you know the visual but there is the audio which i, I do a lot more of that here at home and we do have an fm radio station but i'm not involved with that like I'm, I'm more involved with the television. Occasionally, I'll get a little bit with the, the FM, but it's mainly the TV side that I'm working with. Oh, cool! No, I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, Rex, go ahead. Rex had mentioned one time before to me. I said about visual. I don't know if you want to call it acuity or sensitivity or what have you, but I remember Rex, you had said that if you want to hide something from you, put it right in front of you. Yeah, there, it's. It's difficult to, it's like I have both, like you can, you can put, you want to hide something, it can be like right under me and I'll never find it. <laughs> and it's, it's difficult to, it, it depends upon what it is, the circumstances, a lot of different things, but that's happened a number of times where something can be like right in front of me or in plain sight and I never see it. Okay, and I know you also told me about like maybe in your line of work if something needs repaired or there's a problem with a piece of equipment that you find yourself being able more able than than other folks perhaps to hone in on the problem when everybody's all wound up about oh I think it needs this or maybe this is busted you're able to like zone like zoom right in and see what's wrong with it. It's a mixed bag. There's like there's some things that I see that nobody can see. And there's other things that a lot of people can see that I can't see. So it's like it's a like, kind of like both sides. But a lot of times, because I I kind of have an understanding of how a lot of electronic equipment works, it's if there's a way to say it, like I can sense sometimes. And I I guess one of my new nicknames, like I'm a veterinarian for electronic equipment. <laughs> <laughs> now I happen to I happen to know sense. how much. How much equipment Rex has? Would you be able to tell us a little bit about your your the equipment that you have at home, like your clocks and your computers and all the things that you put together? I live inside a giant piece of electronic equipment. It's the easiest way to explain it. There's like there's oscilloscopes, television monitors. There's all kinds of broadcast television equipment. There's like and working equipment at that. There's clots, there's like, I have a tornado generator, I've got computers, I've got like, there's, I've got more, uh, people, one of the inside jokes is I've got more stereos than most stores have. <laughs> and <laughs> that's just a CD. I've got a library, i got an oldies library that like puts most radio stations to shame. <laughs> and I'm in the, I now understand, well, it's okay, Elvin. Oh, you just, there, you landed on my head. Always have a bird on your head. <laughs> and, <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> it's okay. And I'll, I'll, I'll just let the answering machine answer that. If it uh, <laughs> answers. Anyway, it's okay, Almond. It should answer about another ring. Hopefully it's not somebody calling for the podcast. <laughs> there, an answer. Anyway, you still there? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've been sitting there giving me dirty looks on the other end of the room, <laughs> and uh, the uh, wherever I was, oh yeah, there's there's just so much. It's it's easier to bring people out and show them rather than try to explain. I mean, there's there's just so much. There's a I have a DV. I have more. Of, I have a bigger video library here at home than we do at at the station. <laughs> Wow. And would you yeah. say that's because you like Rex? Because you like collecting them, or yeah, there's or you just well, one of the things. This is something I remember when I was a kid. Now this is like kind of at the beginning. I remember they used to take me to the speech therapist. His name is Mr. Marvin, and I remember one time. Now I'm probably in the first grade at this point, so this would be probably like 1961, 1962, and. One time he brought out this amazing machine, which I really like. Was, you know, better, it, it's a tool they use. But for me, when he used it, and I would make sound this out of whatever, and he would, and then he would play it back, and I would hear all the little things that I would do. It's called a tape recorder, <laughs> and so I was introduced to one of those. And it wasn't until I was in the sixth grade when I got my first one, <laughs> and I seemed to be like kind of like 
there's a tape recording part of me that I don't know how to explain it, but it's kind of like I'm I'm kind of like a tape recorder, but I'm, I can't quite do it with my mouth like what I hear. And but there's another little character that can really do it sometimes. They're like living tape recorders, and so I found that there's one animal that is so much like me it's scary, and that's an African gray parrot. And Almond is like. It's like, you know, he's like my uh, twin or my other alter ego, whatever you want to call him. He's, he's a character. <laughs> but anyway, so then it just evolved from time. Eventually, then videotape recorders. I got, when I was in college, I kind of got introduced to those and started playing with those. I remember back in the fifth grade, though, and I jump around. I'm like, you know, I go from tangent to tangent to tangent. But I remember I used to imagine having like this, You'd have this it'd be the size of a TV, and you put a cartridge in it. <laughs> I figured it probably could play about four hours of film, as I understood how that worked. <laughs> and having a library, being able to play whatever programs you like, and now it's a reality. <laughs> wow! Now, I know you write music, and I thought we'd listen to one of your MP3s and okay. then talk about it. Okay. <laughs> was great. Now, can you expound on how you do that? Okay, that was back in somewhere around, like around my birthday, you might say, like in April of 1988, I started the uh, the MIDI path and had gotten my first MIDI synthesizer. And I probably should go back even before that. When I in '86, I didn't realize that a number of pieces of equipment could be gotten a lot cheaper than I even imagined, and you could put together kind of like what you would call a symphony orchestra or a rock band in your, and or both, in your living room for not a whole lot. And so that began the path. So in around probably September or October of 1988 is when I proceeded to build this thing. And it consisted about, there was a drum machine and a number of synthesizers and without getting onto the details of the technical aspects, which also helped me learn MIDI as well. The um, there's a thing called step editing where I would put some people can read sheet music like you read a book unfortunately I can't I'm always having to look at the keys and not the sheet music and listen to the music so this was an experiment in step editing I came up with an idea of putting the notes in manually and around the fourth bar or verse or whatever musical term is called, the, the piece kind of falls apart in the bass, but it was it was one of the first ones I had done. And the one sound that the synthesizer would make, I really, really liked a lot. It had like a nice, you know, this, it's the string sound that I used that had a nice echoey reverb type sound in it. And I played this for somebody and they kind of named the piece open so that's how it got the name open, and it was kind of like uh, an earlier experiment in just step editing, which I began to like more than just playing. A lot of times the problem I have when you're playing, it's kind of like then you have to play to another track, and being kind of perfectionist, like you, music is not about perfection, but at the same time, there is a skill to playing that... It's, it's difficult to like lay down another track and then another track and another track. 
because then you mess up this track. Well, then you have to go back until you get that track right. Then if you lay down another track, well, then you've messed that one up. So it's nice having multiple tracks that if you mess one up, you don't have to worry about messing the whole project up. And, now, uh, now Rex played the Rex. Didn't you play the piano at? I didn't go, so I missed you. But the at our last Autism Society Christmas party. I think so. I'm trying to remember which one. The uh, the kids' party. <laughs> that was the one in Lebanon. No, the one in Mechanicsburg. Okay, I oh okay. I, I was I get them mixed up. The uh, yeah the. Uh, the, the big, the 300 some people, I guess, were there. Yeah, yeah, I didn't make it this year, but I think. Okay. Um, and the reason I say that, Erica, is because I've been told that you can just tell Rex, play this, and he just plays it. I mean, you know, we had talked about how you, Rex, you had it's, said that if you hear the beginning of a song, you can finish it, even though you don't know what it is. It, it's, it's, it's difficult to explain it. It's kind of like, it's a mixed bag also. Sometimes... I can play in real time for the first time ever hearing the song along with the song. Other times it can be a song everybody knows and it just doesn't register. Case in point with that, for whatever reason, whoop, it's okay on me. For whatever reason, the song by Beethoven that everybody likes for release, it doesn't register for me. It's like it doesn't have that kind of a emotional connection. Whereas a piece like the... Uh, <laughs> Green sleeves would be kind of at the other end of the spectrum, and that kind of registers very deeply, and that I can fairly well play by ear without any problem. Ah, that's awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. Now, do you think being on the spectrum has helped you in terms of your work? And I know we touched upon this a little a little bit ago when we were talking about visual skills, but do you feel that being on the spectrum has helped you in terms of your work? Knowing what I know now, I'd say it, it was definitely a help. But prior to knowing that, I, you know, it's kind of like I knew there was something, but I always, you know, it's kind of like you try to explain it to people, and they look at you, yeah, you're just nuts, and you know, you can't, you know, like, well, I need to go see a professional. Like, well, what do you see? Like, and you try to tell them, and you don't know about autism at that point, and they just look at you like, well, you're just, you know, you're just, you know, and they slough you off like, you know. So it, it's real frustrating when you, you, you try to tell people and you don't know what to tell them because you don't even know what it is you're trying to tell them that you have a condition, but what's the condition? I don't even know. And they say, well, you can't, I can't help you if you don't. It's like you have to have like, you have to have like a bullet in you or you have to like, you know, your arm chopped off. Oh, yeah, we can help you then. But if you don't know what you have or you can't put a label on it, then they just look at you like, bye. Understood. Understood. Now, do you have, like, a lot of people with autism have sensory issues. Do you have any particular sensory issues? I seem to have, like, my my diagnosis, which then years later, it's like probably, I want to say like 2006, 2005, mm-hmm. 2006, somewhere in there, was multiple spectral, high-functioning multiple spectral, and it's probably Asperger's. The problem is the, the doctor was saying it's very common that a person with Asperger's knows more and can give a better diagnosis than the professionals who know, who know about Asperger's. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that was kind of scary. And I know some people that like kind of figured out on their own. There's another guy. He's like heavily into birds and reptiles. He's like a walking. He's into them like I'm into electronics, which is scary. <laughs> but anyway, the there's definitely visual... Audio, I know that all five senses are t- affected. One of the ones I have the difficulty explaining, like the the taste, like there's certain foods. If I eat them, then I use the word volcano since it's not nice to say the other word. <laughs> and um, <laughs> the uh, a lot of different foods I have. Like, I have no problem with filet mignon, but if you want the volcano to go off, then the oranges and fruits and vegetables are the big volcano generator. Oh wow. Now, obviously, you have a special interest in gray African parrots. Am I saying that right? Right. Yeah, and that just started about not even five years ago. When okay. I had on Christmas Day, I met my nephew's African gray, and there was a major autism moment had occurred that day, not knowing all that I know now about the autism. Here he comes. 
Yep, almond just flew back to me. He's very smart. And I, I now know that it was one of those, like, there was a major connection that was going on between me and the bird that my nephew had, which is named Jackie. And his is called a Timna African Gray, which is a little smaller than a Congo African Gray, which is what I have. And the Congo African Gray is the same kind of bird that the famous bird, Alex, that passed away, that Dr. Irene Pepperberg had, that mm-hmm. was like, it, it literally was like a six-year-old human child, but it was a bird. You could carry on, if you have a six-year-old human child, and you know how you can carry on a conversation with them, that's what this bird was capable of doing. The oh, bird wow. that smart. And that, because it would ask questions, and you go, you want a nut? You go, no, Alex, don't want a nut. What corn? No, Alex. And this goes like five or ten minutes. And then the bird would get frustrated and finally go, well, what do you want? <laughs> this is the bird asking you the question. <laughs> Rex, is this what the movie's going to be about? I mean, are they going to talk about Alex in the movie? It's supposedly Alex and me. Because like then the I want to see it. <laughs> it's called Alex and me, the movie. It's basically, you might say it's Dr. Pepperberg's... Um, I want to say it's her life with Alex. And if you've read the book, it's probably essentially the book put in the movie form. And Almond's going to be in the credits. Oh, I cool. know. Yeah, yeah, Eric. If we you can take donate, in 25 bucks, we can be in the credits too. For, for $20 or more, you can get your name in the credits. And I think I, I donated for Almond, and I think I also put a donation in, so I got my name in the credits too. So... Almond Mazel Tov Forte would be like, you know, since I put, that's what I put down when I, I put the name for what name to put in the credits. So supposedly that's what they'll put in. Awesome. Almond Mazel Tov Forte. Because he's obsessed with almonds and I'm obsessed with getting him to say Mazel Tov when somebody makes like a bodily noise, like burping or, you know, and his favorite place to sit is on top of the piano, and I would play it loudly, or forte. Or forte, yeah. At the beginning, he really loved it. Now he just pretty much flies off and, you know, does his own thing, and and he gets into trouble. Sometimes I'd play it, he'll, like, start ringing his bell or making all kinds of fuss. So he's, he's well, oh, the mic fell down. There we go, is that better? Okay. Is <laughs> <laughs> he now, eating the mic? Oh, my. He a professional mic up, but it's like... He wanted to get his two cents in. <laughs> Now, what would you want people to understand about autism that you feel they currently do not? That's difficult. To, you, you try to explain it, and you can't explain something you don't even know what the question is. Or like you're trying to explain what you can't, you don't even know what the words are to try to explain what it is you're trying to explain. And there's a lot of that with autism. Like you try to, there's frustration with interaction with like you want to get people to come over and visit. You want to interact with, of course, girls and the strong ones, of course. And it's okay, almond. <laughs> they uh, and they usually tell me to hush up at that point. <laughs> but they, it's the interactions are almost. It's like I can tell that, you know, they they give you that whatever you want to call it, which you can. You've had that many times before. When they give you that look, and you know what it means, but they won't say it. They're just trying to be nice, but. And it's kind of like, now what did I do? And you just like, like the movie War Games. You just want to be like everybody else. You want to fit in with every, like everybody else, but you can't. And it's, it's frustrating when I go to most situations and you just don't fit. There is no much. And in the year 2000, there was a, uh, this one church, they found me. It's called the Bridge Church, which, which meets in Humblestown. And I finally found a place where I actually fit and belong. Of course, now since my schedule changed, it makes it like next to impossible to go without getting sick or like, you know, yeah, if I want to get up at six in the morning and stay up till three and then get up at six and like, I, you know, I don't, I'm not 21 years old like some of those whippersnappers are, but they, um, it's ever since, I guess in the year 2000 is when they started and it was kind of like a perfect fit because I'd, I'd been other places and you go in and it's kind of like, 
they would say you know, what they would say with their mouth, but their body language are always saying, we don't want you. You don't belong here. And like, you know, just go away. And that was always frustrating. So basically you're looking for acceptance. Yeah, and, and it's kind of like you're trying to find, you know, your place to fit without like, you know, it's, I mean, most people aren't going to sit and, you know, gather around and start talking about, you know, the subjects that I'm into or whatever. They, they usually talk about subjects that put me to sleep and bore me. Like, I really don't care about football, baseball, basketball, any of those sports. And, you know, most of what people, you know, there's like a lot of the things that most men are in, like hunting or fishing or whatever. I, I really don't care. But get me into like, so, you know, piece of electronic equipment or, you know, we can even talk about dogs, tornadoes, clocks, music. You know, muscles and don't well, that's started. a lot of things, Rex. There's got to be <laughs> somebody really, out there. There's a lot of subjects, but for me, they're intent. Like most people will talk about something, and then they very quickly change the subject. Whereas, like I get into it, and it's like we could be hours talking about the same bicep or the same little detail, and people are like you know, you talk about it for like t- five or ten seconds, and they go, okay, next subject. It's like, wait, I just got started. <laughs> I haven't even gotten started yet. Like, pay attention to me here. <laughs> I mean, the intensity is so, it's very, very intense. But unfortunately, most people don't, like most people with a hobby, they have, like, you go to their house and, you know, like, they have a gun hobby. They maybe have a few guns and whatever. And I don't have a gun hobby, but, you know, they, you, if a person with Asperger's, you go to their house and you'd see like hundreds or thousands or what, I mean, there'd be guns everywhere. You'd be swimming in them. And yeah. So it's like this place, like, you know, you wouldn't see just like, you know, oh, there's a nice stereo or something like that. I mean, you'd see, there's like, you have to see it to believe it. There's, I think at one time I had 300 cathode ray tubes. I don't think I have that many more. I, I have well over 100 oscilloscopes, but that's, and that's probably just the Tektronics brand. The, uh, there's, it's difficult to, there's so many different hobbies, but that's just one that, it's kind of a unique and unusual hobby, but it's, I've always had a thing for the cathode ray tube. It's the thing that makes the visual, you know, so you see where the visual comes in. Mm-hmm. My specialty in at work is the cathode ray tube. And we're not just talking picture tube, but also like in the oscilloscope, there's different types of uh, technical equipment that's used to measure television signals. And... One of them is called a waveform monitor, and the other is called a vectorscope. They give you a visual picture of the electronic signal, and like if you want to see the video information, at how well, how loud is it? Well, this instrument will show you that, or you'll see what color it is. A vectorscope will show you a visual picture of the electronic signal, and which is incredibly valuable when you're actually working on television signals and equipment and, you know, broadcast equipment. And it's, you know, it's nice to visually see what it is you're working with since you can't visually see the electrons that are what they're doing. So it gives you an actual picture of what's going on. Let alone a picture monitor, you can actually see a picture. Well, Rex, I'd like to thank you for joining us tonight. Yes, I'm, I'm okay. now he's got me thinking, well, that would be really cool to see that. <laughs> it would, it would. He's got a lot of stuff going on over there. and Yeah, I mean, I think whoever wants to go into broadcasting, you know, like some students at Hack or what have you, I think mm-hmm. you might find a bunch of people that would be interested in, in talking about that for long periods of time, Rex. There has yeah. to be somebody that's interested yeah. in learning, you know, what about the, these things. Right. One of the bad things about electronics today that's gone, a lot of it has gone the way of, okay, now for $20, you have something that breaks, you throw it away and replace it, which that's okay today, like you have a, you know, a video card for $10, sound card for 20 whatever, but in broadcasting, when you have a tape machine that's like $100,000 or, you know, another piece of equipment, 50, you know, they're, they're like bigger price tag, you just don't exactly throw them away, and a lot of electronics has gotten to the point, though, it's, it's very difficult to service with surface mount. And it's like you almost need to be a brain surgeon and you need the proper equipment to do some of the um, 
if you want to call it microsurgery that's involved. And unfortunately, we don't have that. And I also personally don't have that because it's it's kind of like ridiculous to spend that kind of money and then you don't use it very often. If you're actually a, a business or a place that does that, it would make sense. Exactly. Fascinating. Fascinating. But Rex, thank you so much for joining us tonight and sharing your story. And it was a pleasure speaking with you. Okay. Well, you Thanks, take care. Rex. I'll talk to you okay. later, Rex. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Now, I had a few random news stories, Pam. Okay, okay, go for I it. I figured I'd, I'd go with a cut, like maybe one or two of them. Um, one of them I found off the New York Times, and it is screening an autism questionnaire at checkup time, a questionnaire that parents can fill out in five minutes while waiting for the pediatrician can detect autism and other delays in one-year-olds, a new study has found. But the test has a high false positive rate that may cause unnecessarily unnecessary alarm. Researchers asked pediatricians in San Diego to use the 24-item checklist to screen 10,479 babies at their 12-month checkup. The test identified some 1,318 babies as potentially having autism or other developmental problems. Of those, 184 infants were evaluated and tracked, including 32 who subsequently were found to have autism spectrum disorder, 56 with, le- 56 with language delays, 9 with developmental delays, and 36 with other problems. Another 46 were subsequently found to be developing normally, meaning the checklist's false positive rate was 25%. Although many pediatricians don't screen one-year-olds for autism, there is a growing body of evidence suggesting early intervention can be effective, said Dr. Karen Pierce, the lead author of the study, published Thursday in the Journal of Pediatrics and Assistant Director of the Autism Center of Excellence at University of California, San Diego. The checklist poses simple questions like whether a baby responds to his or her name, whether parents can tell when an infant is happy or upset and whether a child engages in pretend play with dolls or stuffed animals. And that's basically what the story is. I Like with any test or, or what have you, I guess you have to take it as a, a screening tool and not a downright... Um, no, it's not a you know, it's not perfect science. Yeah, you know, if, if you yeah. take something like that and, and it seems to lean in one direction, okay, go then and you find go to out the next. More. Yeah. Yeah, then you go to the next level and, and go, because that's just a pediatrician checking off the checklist. It's not a, somebody that is specializes in developmental delays or, you know, someone, a psych, usually they go to like a psychiatrist or a neurodevelopmental specialist to get that autism diagnosis. Because I know that's what we did with Garrett and Cassidy. We went straight to the a neurodevelopmental specialist and that's how we got the diagnosis after we did the checklist for autism for Garrett but he was 22 months old when he was diagnosed so you know that's what we did (laughs) that's just how it happened and then um, I had one other story I wanted to share and it is entitled assistance league school offers special help for preschool kids and of course it's not coming up i should have had it up already okay here we go when tommy aseva's son thomas was two he didn't start to talk in the way aseva's first child isabella had at the same age thomas would point to things but not speak and the more his parents pressured him to use words the more frustrated he became he does need a lot of one-on-one attention and he's a very shy kid aseva said He's a little antisocial and intimidated by others. Thomas attends the Assistance League School in Oxnard, California, which specializes in early intervention and therapy for preschool children experiencing developmental delays. Students are referred to the school through Huneem Elementary, Ocean View, Rio, and Oxnard School Districts and receive help with 
speech and language skills, academic, sensory, and fine motor skills, and personal interaction skills. After just a short time at school, Aseva said he can see a difference in his son who just turned four. His words are still pretty limited, but he's losing his frustration now. It's everything to us, to the These kind of kids who are autistic need that one-on-one attention. If they don't get it, they're going to get left behind. But you could definitely check that out on bcstar.com, and you can find it in the show notes of the show. There's a little bit more to the story, but um, I thought that was like kind of like a feel-good story, you know? (laughs) Well, as as you were reading this, I'm reminded of, and I probably shouldn't bring it up since I don't have a link to it for folks to reference, but... The one autism mom today commented on Facebook about how how sad she was after having read a story about a, a mom that killed her autistic child because she couldn't <sighs> take it anymore. I think the little boy was 11, and she had him and a, a sibling, a regular child sibling, and no dad or no one to support her, and she just got to the ragged edge and... She was and desperate for respite. She was desperate for anything. And I think, not that I have anywhere to send anyone that's desperate, but I guess the message just that if you feel yourself in that position, just call someone, call anybody. That's call, why I'm you know, in therapy. <laughs> call your friend, call your girlfriend, call your next door neighbor and just say, look, I just need to talk for a while, you know, because I'm, I'm feeling really stressed out here. I'm, you know. We've both kind of been there, maybe not to the extent this woman was at, but we all go through it and you've got to have someone in your corner just to listen. Because if you can't vent that, this is what happens. I mean, I'm not going to say everybody's going to do that, but, you know, she was just at her wit's end and she needed help. And there was, I guess she felt there was nothing else for her to do. There probably was but it's a sad state of affairs when someone has nowhere to go when they're faced with with a situation like that. Exactly. Exactly. So how was your week? It was pretty good. I think it was Mother's Day, (laughs) I think. (laughs) Yes, it was. It was Mother's Day this past Sunday. (laughs) Okay, time flies when you're having fun. Joey made me a lovely card at school. And uh, a little potted marigold for Mother's Day. They made it at school, wrapped it up all beautiful, and and he brought it home. And, of course, that's all you could ask for, you know. And he's totally into mowing the lawn now and did all three acres of our property at home on Sunday with the, you know, the circular turn lawnmower. And he, Daddy pays him his 20 bucks, you know, every Sunday. And he tells me to take his money and buy things that he wants, like his VHS tapes, you know. His roly-poly-oly. Oh, I didn't get that. I didn't get that one yet. Oh no! Oh my gosh! But well, that's you know, an eBay thing. That's an yeah. eBay item. So I can't complain. But I think toward this part of the year, we start to get a little antsy with, like, is it over yet? You know, is school over yet for the year? Yeah. You know, the morning routine starts to get a little more grumpier because I think they realize it's like, okay, you know, we've had it with this now. So, mm. so we're just hanging in there for the last couple of weeks. Good. We've got, what, six weeks left of school, something like that? I don't know. We get out June 6th. We don't get out till June 24th. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Why? I have no idea. (laughs) Or maybe I shouldn't say that. I should say, good for you. Yeah. (laughs) I get a little bit respite. Respite. Nope, I checked today. They don't get out until June 24th. Isn't that wild? Did you count the days? Like, aren't they supposed to be in school? Like, 180 180 days here, I think. What do you guys have? Like, super school or, you know? (laughs) I don't know. I don't, I honestly don't know why they're going till June 24th. I could be wrong. I might have looked at the wrong schedule, but. I'm pretty sure I clicked on the 2010 to 2011 school year and it said, was June that different than last year? Last year they last got out. No, last year they got out around, around the same time, like June 19th or June 20th. When do you start? Like in the summer, when does the year start? School year start? 
Mm, this year it was the Thursday and Friday before Labor Day. They had two days of school and then they had Labor Day off and then they had three days or four days of school. That's about right. I don't know. <laughs> we have super schools. <laughs> They're pushing to go year round. <laughs> hey. I push for it. I think it will benefit them, especially Garrett with his social skills. Yeah. I mean, it can't hurt. How was your week, though? How was your Mother's Day? My mother, well, I went to New Jersey for the weekend, and Garrett said to me on Sunday when I picked them up at about 3 o'clock, he said, I hate Mother's Day. And I said, why do you hate Mother's Day? He said, because I wanted to spend the whole day with you, Mom, and you weren't here. I was like, I'm sorry, (laughs) making me feel guilty on Mother's Day. Hey, kid, this is my day, you know? I didn't get a card. I didn't get, you know, the typical flower or anything like that. I just got to spend a few hours with my kids and that was fine with me. You know, we got happy Mother's Day hugs and kiss and that was fine with me. You know, (laughs) when Garrett saying he hated Mother's Day because he didn't get to spend the whole day with me. Each of them gave me a dandelion, which was nice. That was fine. You know, I, I can't complain. Um, but Garrett had his first therapy appointment. Okay, to tell. He's really trying to keep his anger under control by using a coping mechanism he learned in therapy, and it's called four square, four square breathing. Basically, you breathe in through your nose, and you count, count to four as you're breathing in through your nose. Then you hold it for four seconds. Then you breathe out through your mouth for four seconds or four counts. And then you wait for four seconds, and then you do the process over again until the anger goes away. Okay, well, as much as I smoke, I could barely – I was doing it while you, while you were – and I'm like, one, two, three, four. <laughs> well, he's really trying to keep his anger control under control, and we decided that if he can keep his anger under control and use this breathing technique for five days in a row, he will receive a reward, and he's been really good. He keeps saying that he will never earn anything, even though he is using the technique. He's like, I'm never going to earn anything. One, two, three, four. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't say one, two, three, four. You see see his little hand go one, two, three, four. Yeah, but you're so busy. You're so busy with the bodily part of it, concentrating on that and concentrating on counting it down, you know, that who has time to be mad? Exactly. I think it's cool. It is. Um so he's using the technique. Um, Cassidy's doing well. She's getting more organized with her paperwork that comes home and goes back to school. We decided with her therapist to int- implement a plan for her to remain organized. And if she stays organized with her papers for at least five school days in a row, she will earn pencil lead. <laughs> that's what she wanted for a reward, pencil lead. I'm like, okay. No, that's for a, for just pencil lead. graphite. Graphite. Yeah, graphite. You know, the one that go in the little pencils that... It goes in the lead pencil, right? <laughs> in the mechanical pencil? Yeah, I don't know what they call them anymore. Mechanical pencil, yeah. She wants lead for her mechanical pencil. I'm like, okay. Um, she has a clarinet recital coming up, and I don't think she's going to be participating because she hardly practices, and she keeps her either missing her lessons or forgetting her clarinet at home. I remind her to practice, but she fights me on it, and because she's too... That's usually because she's either too busy drawing or doing something else. It's hard to transition her out of that, you know, thing. And without mom having to scream, and mom's not going to scream, you know, I'm like, okay, you're not going to, you're, you're not going to practice your clarinet. You're not going to be in the recital. But I want to be in the recital. Let's get your butt upstairs and practice your clarinet. It's, it's as simple and as complicated as that. She practiced today and she was doing pretty, for a kid that didn't take very many lessons this year, she's damn good. <laughs> and then she got angry and she's like, this clarinet. And I'm like, it's not the clarinet. It's the person playing it, Cassidy. And don't get upset. Just start the song again. For someone who has not taken very many lessons, she is pretty good. So we're going to let her practice. I mean, the the um, recital is ne- not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday, a week from tomorrow. So hoping her teacher also said that if she doesn't bring her clarinet to school, that 
she's not going to be allowed to be in the recital. So she has just this next Monday coming up to bring her clarinet and get a lesson in to be in that concert or to be in that whatever recital you want to call it. So, but, uh, you know. All right. We'll set her up for success. I know you don't want to molly coddle the here's your clarinet thing, but, you know, give her a give her a hand up, not a handout, you know. Yeah. Hand her the clarinet. As she goes out to tour, so she'll at least get the ego boost of being in the recital. Exactly. Exactly. Garrett, this morning, um, I woke up late. I've had been having some trouble sleeping, oversleeping. And the first thing I heard was him complaining when I woke up. And I was just like, do you think you cannot come, you know, you can hold that in a little bit in the morning. You think because mommy's getting cranky because you're cranky. And he's like, nobody loves me. I'm like, oh, here we go. Drama. I said, nobody said that they didn't love you. And I'm sorry you feel that way, but Garrett, I love you very much. And don't say those kind of things, you know. Why do you feel like nobody loves you? I don't know, Mom. Because I was cranky. I'm like, <laughs> okay, okay, kid. You're just a little melodramatic, but whatever. You know, we'll, we'll work on that, too, in therapy. We'll work on that. I think it's the age. I think it's the time of year. Yeah. So now I feel feel sorry for the kids that they have to stay in that long, but I envy you that, that they get that they do get to stay in school that long. So yeah. you'll have to put up with the crankiness. Yep. Well, thank you, Pam, for joining me again tonight, even with our you know little glitches, <laughs> technical difficulties, technical as they difficulties. Call it. Um, but. Uh, what we'll be talking about next week, we'll we'll update you as the week goes along. Um, you can join us at our website at autismwarriors.com. Our email is feedback at sayitproductions.com. Our Twitter is sayitprods. Our Facebook is facebook.com backslash autismwarriors and facebook.com backslash sayitproductions. Our voicemail is 813-915-6390. You can catch us live at sayitproductions.com backslash live 8 p.m. Eastern every Tuesday night. Also on sayitproductions.com, you can go to the donate section and find out all the ways in which you can donate to the production company to keep us up and running. Um, I'd like to thank you all for listening to the Autism Warriors podcast. See you next week.